Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Good morning. My name is Jen, uh, for those who don't know me, and BCV has been my home church for well over 10 years now. So are you ready for the next two episodes in Mark's Gospel, which tells us the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as Mark so clearly put it at the start of his book. Today we're looking at Mark 3, 7 through to 19, the crowds and the 12. So let's just pause and settle ourselves and ready ourselves to hear God's word. Let's pray very briefly. Father, will you come? Will you help us to hear, to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word? Lord, would you take your word and would you plant it in our hearts and would you open our understanding? Come Holy Spirit. Amen. So last week, uh, the story ended on an ominous note with the Pharisees and the Herodians plotting on how they might kill Jesus. So Already Mark has shown us that this Messiah, this Jesus, his coming is not going to be what everyone else expected. And so we're going to take up the story in verse 7 and let's read the first episode as it were together. So Mark 3 verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. So in the face of the threat from the religious and political authorities, Jesus withdraws to the lake and that is the Sea of Galilee. Now it's not a withdrawal out of fear. It's simply just not the time yet for to be in a confrontation with the religious authorities. Mark will bring us to that point soon enough, but it is still time for Jesus to be with his disciples and the large crowds of people, teaching them, healing them, showing them his kingdom coming. If you look in verse 8, Mark tells us that the large crowd of people came to Jesus from all over. Notice that it says it's because they've heard of what Jesus is doing rather than what he is teaching. But either way, they're hearing about him. Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist, drew people from Judea and Jerusalem, as it tells us in Mark 1 verse 5. But news of Jesus has spread, as you can see, to an even greater area. Mostly all of the areas mentioned are where Jews dwelt, although the areas mentioned in verse 8 also extend to Gentile or non-Jew areas as well. The map shows you the extent of the area mentioned. And these areas are to the north, south, east and west of Galilee where Jesus was based at this time. And remember, there was no such thing as the internet or social media or the news at six. This was all word of mouth. Stories of Jesus' power to heal and cast out impure spirits have reached far and wide. Jesus is drawing people to himself from all over. The area that's mentioned there in verse 8 corresponds roughly to ancient Israel. And here you will hear an echo of passages like Isaiah 43, 5 and 6, where it says, 
Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Or indeed a passage like, a verse like Isaiah 55 and 5, um, where Isaiah prophesies of God's servant drawing people from all parts of the earth to him. Now, in those days, medical care would have been very basic by our standards. So it's no wonder that people would flock to someone who they have heard can heal almost anything, it seems. The crowd seemed desperate. Um, Mark talks about them crowding Jesus and so much so that it's actually a bit dangerous so that Jesus asks his disciples to have a boat ready for him in case it gets too much. In verse 10, it says how those who had diseases were pushing forward to touch him. No longer are they waiting for Jesus to touch them. They're literally falling on him. The crowd have heard that Jesus has healed many. Notice that Jesus doesn't run from the crowd. He lets the people come to him. He doesn't tell them to go home or go away or give them a bit of space. He doesn't go and sail off in the little boat. He lets them come to him and ministers to them. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus still heals. Jesus is still the healer. You and I, even by just listening to the talk so far and Mark have heard of how he has healed people. Let's allow that to build our faith and come to Jesus. Like, are you in need of healing, of help or freedom? Come to Jesus. If you would like prayer for healing, um, please fill in a little card that you'll find on our BCV weekly service page under prayer ministry and someone will get in touch and pray with you. Then um, moving on in verses 11 and 12, we get a glimpse of what is really going on spiritually behind the scenes. There is more to Jesus's mission than meets the eye. So let's read those verses again. And it, they say, whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Now Jesus has, or Mark has noted before that Jesus has come up against impure spirits or they may be called unclean spirits or demons. Each time Jesus has asserted his authority and power over them and it's interesting that the demons, the impure spirits who are the servants of the enemy of God's kingdom, they are the ones to rightly identify and see who Jesus really is, the Messiah, the Son of God when as yet the crowds, nor the disciples have been able to see that or maybe they're only beginning to see this truth. The unclean spirits continue to recognize Jesus without fail every time. Now it might be helpful to explain what an unclean or an impure spirit is. Tom Wright in his easy to read commentary on Mark says the following. First, they are non-physical powers that operate upon and sometimes within a person. Second, they defile the one they inhabit, making such a person behave in ways that are untrue to their calling as a human being. And he goes on to say, but these spirits know when they are in the presence of a power greater than themselves. They recognize in Jesus, not just a great healer, but a spiritual power and presence of an altogether different order from themselves. Going back to the passage, the phrase in verse 12, that says they cried out, um, you are the son of God, is more like they screamed out or shrieked out. And it can mean that it was almost an inarticulate cry that people might be able to understand what's saying. So it's not told what the crowds around make of all of this. But what we do know is that Jesus is not threatened by them. He's not threatened by them knowing his name. Um, at that time, it, the thought was that by knowing someone's name, you could control someone. But instead, he is the one who silences them. He is the one 
to give them orders and give them strict orders. That little phrase is more like muzzle them, like Jesus put a muzzle on them. Jesus shows himself as the one who is in control, not the enemy. Now you may wonder why Jesus charged the demons um, not to tell others about him. I mean, after all, he was healing people very openly and word would of course spread. While I was preparing for this talk in a commentary I read by William Hendrickson, he suggests among a few other things that um, it would not be fitting for who Jesus is to be publicly revealed by corrupt and filthy demons. And also that before Jesus was to be revealed more publicly, he needed to make people, especially his disciples, aware of the exact nature of his messianic mission and not the political one held by so many of the day. It was not the time. So hopefully you find that helpful to your understanding as I did. By including this detail about the impure spirits, Mark is showing us that there are other forces at work in opposition to the kingdom of God. The enemy, or Satan, is the one behind all opposition to the kingdom of God, behind sin, sickness and death. But Mark has shown us clearly again that God's kingdom in Jesus is on a completely different plane altogether. We're not talking about equal and opposite powers. The kingdom, the power of God, is absolutely way above that of the enemy. And in Jesus, we too have nothing to fear of the enemy or when we come up against his influence in the lives of people around us or in society around us. The kingdom of God has come near in Jesus, as he said. And as then, so now, Jesus is on the throne and his kingdom is an everlasting one and it's far above all others. So let's go back to um, Mark 3 and read on for our next episode. So from the large crowd, we go to a scene with a smaller amount of people and that's Jesus and 12 others to be exact. So let's read this next part and it goes from verse 13 in Mark 3 and it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So the story moves from the lakeside to the mountainside and we're not told what mountain it was, um, but it must have been near Capernaum. Mark's readers would probably have known what was meant. And Mark gives us, as usual, a briefer account of Jesus appointing the 12 disciples and say, for example, Matthew or Luke. Um, in Luke, for example, he tells us that Jesus spent the preceding night in prayer. Such was the importance of what he's doing here. So let's look at the passage in more detail. In verse 13, let's notice that Jesus called those he wanted. The idea behind the word is desire, like his will was involved. It wasn't chance that these 12 men were singled out to be his closest followers. Men who he would teach and send out to also preach the kingdom of God. They were chosen by him. And David Garland says, this call creates a distinction between those who follow after him, desperately seeking healing, those who are only caught up in the spectacle of these strange events and those who are summoned to follow after him as disciples with a particular task. And I guess the question is, which group are we in? So the crowd is thinned out to 12. The crowd will still be there. Mark talks a lot about the crowd. Um, but these 12 are to become his first disciples, the 12 apostles. 
Their names are listed, as we've read, and Mark has already introduced five of them to us, and those are Simon, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew, who is the Levi of chapter two. Jesus called them, and then we read, then we read that they came to him. They still had a part to play. There was no coercion in Jesus' part. Jesus called them, and they came. They came in obedience to his call. Now, the five I've mentioned already must have had close fellowship with Jesus and the others must have already been his followers as well. And the fact that Jesus appointed 12 has symbolic significance, as David Garland, who I've just quoted, says, Mark's first readers and we cannot fail to see the link with how God in Old Testament times chose the 12 tribes of Israel and Jesus choosing the 12 disciples. You can read about God choosing the 12 tribes of Israel in Numbers 1. And the word appointed that is used in um, verse 14 has a meaning in the Greek of construct or create. It's the same word that's used in verse eight where people were hearing about what Jesus was doing, what he was constructing or creating. And isn't this echo back to creation? Jesus is indeed creating, constructing, bringing in the kingdom of God in its fullness, the new Israel, um, were, which many Jews were longing for. And then in verses 14 and 15, Mark tells us their mission. So it says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So notice that their first task was to be with him, not doing, but being. However, for those of you who like doing, don't panic because being is also a verb. It's also a doing word. Being is an active thing. It's actually more than just hanging out with someone. You know yourself, you can hang out with friends and you can be with someone, you can be watching a film um, or you can be scrolling through your phone and that's fine and there's a place for hanging out. But being with someone in this sense means like there's an active uh, activity about it. It means listening, learning, talking, sharing actively with that person in good times and hard times. And that's what the first disciples uh, were called to be. The, the 12 disciples are first called to be with Jesus, to spend time with him, to learn from him. Um, to witness his healings and miracles and listen to his teaching and then and only then does he send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out the impure spirits. The twelve are to extend the work of Jesus, to multiply what he is doing, to reach further and Jesus chooses to use human agents to help usher in his kingdom and he still does that today. The disciples are also to preach that the kingdom of God has come near. He delegates his authority to them to drive out the work of the enemy in people's lives. And Matthew in his account also adds another part of their mission and that is to heal the sick. I'll come back to a few of those thoughts in a moment, but let's just go through the rest of the text first of all. Mark lists the names of the 12 in verses 16 and 18, but he provides in true fashion um, very little detail about them. We know a bit about five of them from what Mark has previously written. He mentions Simon first, who Jesus will name Peter, although that has not happened yet. Um, and remember that we have learned that Mark is writing a recorded version of Peter's eyewitness testimony. So it's fair that he writes, uh, that he names him first. James and John, brothers, come next. And it's thought that their fiery temperament earned them the name that Jesus gave them, the sons of thunder. And Mark will soon show us these three uh, Peter, James and John being the ones who share with Jesus more exclusively and intimately at times, for example, when he is transfigured on the mountain or in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then comes Andrew, who is Simon's brother, then Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. 
It's probable that Simon belonged to a party called the Zealots who were opposed to foreign rule, opposed to the rule of Rome. And Mark tells us that Jesus gave Peter, James and John their other names or, or nicknames. Um, and just it's worth noticing that it's not Jesus who adds Judas who betrayed him or Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. That would have been Mark in the early church who added that name to him. Remember that these men were an unlikely bunch. We know from what Mark says of them later or the other gospel accounts and letters in the New Testament that they were from all sorts of backgrounds, but they all responded to Jesus' call and united around him. And isn't that a picture of the church today? It's a picture of our church. We all have different temperaments, personalities, backgrounds, political and other views, and yet in Jesus, united around him, with him at the center, we are his church, his agents here on earth in Belfast at this time to be his hands and his feet. And just like the 12 disciples, the fact that we follow Jesus, the fact that we are his disciples, that's the thread that joins us and unites us, even when other things would divide us. So just let's remember that when at times we come into conflict, maybe with other followers of Jesus. So we are like the 12 disciples if we follow Jesus too. Mark shows us through them what it is to be Jesus' disciple. If you are already a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple, you have responded to Jesus' call to come to him. Like the 12, for those of us who follow Jesus, our first task is to be with him. It was here in the vineyard um, from a talk probably that Andy or Alan did that I properly heard, I'm sure I'd heard it before, but properly heard for the first time with teaching on this passage that our first priority as disciples is to be with Jesus. It's not to do for him. And here in the vineyard, we talk about all of our service or all that we do has got to be an overflow from what we receive and learn whenever we are with him in his presence. It echoes the passage in John 15, for example, which is dear to us about abiding in Jesus. And, and it's from that place then that we produce fruit. As someone once told me, and I can't remember who, you're a human being, not a human doing. And even just holding on to that um, definition will remind us of our primary task. It's being, it's being with Jesus. Jesus, um, we first need to be with him. And then we do out of that as he sends us to do the task as he has purposed for us. Jesus called the disciples and by extension us back to how it was meant to be in the beginning to our true call as human beings to be in relationship with our creator God. And the call to be with Jesus is a really beautiful thing. It's so full of grace and gentleness. It's devoid of harshness or demands. It's simply being with Jesus in his presence. Jesus knows that that is where we find life, purpose, strength, wisdom, discernment. His presence is where the treasure is and then from that, we can give to others out of much and not out of little. And it is a wonderful thing to spend time in Jesus' presence. I cannot and dare not cut corners with that. And you, as my fellow human beings, cannot afford to either. So the question is, how is your being with Jesus going? How is my being with Jesus going? Skipping this part of the mission and going straight to the doing is like trying to drive a car with no fuel in it. I mean, your car might look good and all the rest, but to go anywhere, you'd have to push it. And it would be an awful lot of effort with not much result. You need to take time to pull your car into the forecourt of the garage and fill up your car for the way, fill up the car for it in order for it to drive and function the way it's meant to, to serve its purpose. And yes, there is a cost to it as well in monetary terms. And as we know, that has been an increasing cost of late. And it's the same with being with Jesus. You need to like pull into time with him as it were. You need to carve out time to be with him and there is a cost to it. 
and maybe it's foregoing watching something on TV or maybe it's getting up a bit earlier, but it's not, it's, it's so worth it. And not only that, it is so vital as that's where we get filled up to live out our lives for him. So how, how do you be with Jesus? Well, it's reading his word. For example, if you don't know where to start, why don't try reading through Mark with us as we're teaching through it at the moment. It's talking to him, it's praying, it's giving space to listen to Jesus, being silent in his presence. It's worshiping in him in song. If you find it difficult to know how to spend time with Jesus, there are many of us in the vineyard who would love to point you in the right direction. And we also have resources um, for that on our website. There's often a following Jesus course that we run. And there's also a little booklet called How to Spend Time with Jesus, which you could request. So then when you know someone by spending time with them, then you have authority to speak and act on their behalf. Just like Jesus first gave his disciples authority to preach and to drive out the impure spirits. Now, what the first disciples did might not exactly look like what your personal outworking of being with Jesus is, but you can be absolutely sure that he has a task for each of us to do using the gifts he has given to us individually. And it's not one without the other. Being with Jesus will mean that you will naturally want to outwork what you're learning and receiving from him in your day to day. It's not just being and not doing. It's both. It's just the being comes first. And if you wouldn't yet call yourself a follower of Jesus, a disciple, the call, the call to follow him goes out to you as well through the ages since Jesus first called people to follow him. Jesus came to call those who aren't following him, to begin to follow him, to come and be a part of his kingdom. And I urge you to come closer. I urge you to come and find out a bit more. Come and see who this Jesus really is. This one who has the power over sickness and demons, the one who forgives sins, the one who makes out of ordinary men and women, regardless of background, his disciples and give them purpose in his kingdom. This passage leaves us all with something to think about, something to respond to. So my question is simply, what, what is that for you? What has stood out for you? And I would encourage you to take time today to read through the passage again, to pray about what has stood out to you and invite the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Let's pray to finish. Father God, we praise you for your word. And we ask God that you would take your word, that you would seal it in our hearts and that you would cause it to bear fruit. Father, when we're tempted to do instead of be, would you remind us of the importance of spending time with you? And we just praise you that we can come right into your presence because of what Jesus has done. Lord, teach us to value being with you. And Father, would you remind each of us of our purpose in your kingdom this day? And would you help us to work it out in our everyday lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.